Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. We're talking about, uh, on, on its face value, you might think that this is a theological concept. We're talking about how Jesus is God. We're like, okay, so well, first we said he's personal, and then we said he is justice. Well, now we're kind of switching gears a little bit and saying that he is God, like he is a divine being. And when I first thought I was going to be writing this message, I thought that I was actually going to be kind of giving a theological message on like, you know, what does the Bible say about this? How do I know that Jesus is God and all of these types of things? And as I started getting into this message, it was pretty clear that we were going to be taking a different turn. So we're going to start with something a little bit different kind of talking about fear, right? This idea of fear. Have you ever wondered why, though, before we get to that, why it's so important that people talk about Jesus claiming to be God? Like, why does it matter? Like, why is it such a big deal that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God? He claimed to be a divine being. And I think the answer to that's going to be pretty clear by the time we get, get to the end of this message. But as we move forward into today, I think if you look around in your own life, it can be pretty, pretty clear that life can just sort of spin out of control pretty rapidly, right? I mean, if you're anything like me, you know what I'm talking about, that, that you can be going along, going to your job, raising your kids, you can be going to school, you can be doing all the things that you do, and then all of a sudden, it seems like someone flipped a switch or something and things just start to go wrong, you know, and, and after time, it seems like everything is going wrong and you're losing control over what's happening in your life. You know, life is not easy. Life is a very complex place. It's a, a complex thing that we live in and it can be challenging for us to really understand why things are happening, let alone being able to control them. Well, this exact same thing happened in my own life just a few years ago. I think last week I had mentioned about injustice and how our car was stolen when we lived in a different neighborhood. Well, this was the beginning of a time in our life, in my family's life, where we felt like we, our life started to spin out of control. Our car was stolen. Our bikes were stolen a few months later. Then my wife lost her job. And then we started going into all sorts of financial troubles and struggles. We were getting, you know, we had bill collectors calling us because my wife had lost her job. We weren't able to financially support ourselves. If any of you have ever been in a situation similar to that, you know how helpless you can feel when things are happening in your life that don't seem to be any cause of your own or any consequence of anything that you've ever done. And I think this is something that most of us can understand. There's a fear that goes along with, with this feeling of, of, of lack of control in your life. I mean, it could be a financial stress. It could be bills. It could be bills that are piling up. It could be your mortgage. I know a pastor friend of mine who they just, they had leased out a building and they were, God was moving in the church and God was growing in their church. And then, you know, the lease that they had signed was sort of a, a tiered system or structure, you know, where the payments increase over time. And when they got to that next level, there just weren't certain things in place. And now they're in this situation where it's like, what do we do? And, and maybe in your own life, maybe you have signed, you know, uh, those, there was those interest only loans that people have taken, or maybe you got yourself into some credit card trouble. Maybe you have lost your job. Maybe you're in that place now. Maybe someone in this room right now is in a place where you're like, I, I don't have a job. I lost my job. I don't know what I'm going to do. Or maybe it's marital problems. Maybe there's someone in the room today 
who's struggling in a relationship with their spouse. What am I going to do? How do I fix this situation? How can, we, how can we get better? How can we get to the place that we need to be in? Broken relationships. It could be friendships. It could be, it could be your kids. It could be coworkers, people that you're close with, or even just unexpected losses. Maybe you had a theft in your life, or maybe there was a death in the family suddenly, or it could be a, a myriad of anything. It could even be poor choices and the consequences that you're now dealing with. You never really realized. You never really truly realized like what I was doing and how the consequences could, could ripple and the effects that they could have in my life and those around me. Our lives can spin out of control at the drop of a dime. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in the middle of the storm wondering, what the heck is going on? How do I get out of this? How can I help myself? How can I help my family? And sometimes it's even worse when you see others going through something and you want to help them and you see their life spiraling out of control. What do we do in times like this when there doesn't seem to be an easy answer, when there doesn't seem to be a good option to, to be able to, like you look at all of your options and none of them seem like a good idea. Well, fortunately, there was a, there's a story that in the Bible that really, really hits this really well. And many of you may have, may have heard this story before if you're familiar with the Bible. But if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to pull out Pull it out and go to Mark chapter 4. If you have a tablet or a smartphone, you can do the same there. I encourage you every week to bring your Bibles, okay? This is a church where we want to teach you how to read your Bibles. So that's why I go through this little thing about telling you so I can give you time to turn to that or scroll to it. We also have notes for you that we provide every week in your program that has the scripture in there and it has some note pages you can fill out if you have a pen. But today we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 and to set the stage Jesus had just gotten finished with a full day of teaching the masses. I mean, Jesus had gotten the following, okay? So because he's a personal person and cared deeply about others, and because he was so cared, concerned for justice and, and, and helping the poor and the needy and those who needed healed, he got a following. People wanted to know this guy and wanted to, to be healed by him and to learn from him. So he spends all day teaching and healing and exerting his energy and his power. And this is where the story picks up. They go to the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 35, we have the words on the screen as well. It says, As evening came, so he'd been talking and teaching and preaching all day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's get in the boat. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. This is the, the Sea of Galilee. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although there were other boats who followed along. I thought that was interesting that they put that there. It's like, even when Jesus tried to get away, they still followed him. And it says, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus, this is crazy, was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. It reminds me of those, those sort of pictures, like or maybe movies where the military guys are about to go into battle and you've got the old wily veteran who's sleeping on the side while all the rookies over here are like terrified they're about to go to war, you know? This is the picture in my mind. Is Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, but the disciples ran to him and woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? It seems like a pretty obvious question. Verse 39, but when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. 
Then he asks them, he turns to them, and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? If I'm the disciples, my jaw drops in that moment. Like, what? Verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Wow, what an incredible story. What an incredible scene. There's so many things in this story that just like questions that pop up. And we're going to sort of just walk through this story a little bit today. And I think it's going to help us. And you'll see how we say Jesus is God and human. So the setting of this, this, the setting is the Sea of Galilee, okay? We talked about this a few weeks ago, but this, it's in northern Israel, and there's a sea. Well, on the, on the eastern side of the sea, there are mountain ranges. So it just sort of goes flat up to the sea, and there's mountains. But on the western side are hills with gorges that kind of create wind tunnels, okay? So the wind, just like downtown Pittsburgh, where you're walking along, and then you just get blasted as soon as you walk next to a building, and you walk into a street, and boom, here comes the wind. That's exactly what it's like on the Sea of Galilee. So the wind comes through these gorges on the west side of the river, or the west side of the hills on the lake, and just rushes over top of the Sea of Galilee, and then smacks right up against the, the waves, or the, the mountainside on the other, and just kind of comes back through and creates this mixing bowl, this churning of waves. It's kind of like in the perfect storm, not quite that bad, that movie, where you just sort of see the boat go up, and then it disappears underneath the, you know, underneath the wave, because the waves are big. The Bible just told us here that that the waves were so high, they started to crash in over the boat. So there's this, this image in our heads of a boat that is like made of wood. We're not talking cruise ships. This is not the Carnival Cruise Line. This is not a battleship. This is not, you know, something that the military would have. This is a fishing boat that's maybe 25 feet long, maybe 30 feet long, made of wood with a sail. So you can imagine... There's this, this reaction, okay? So that's the setting. That's this, this, this space that, that these, these squalls would just come up suddenly. You know, some days it was like, oh, this is a beautiful day on the... You're not careful. All of a sudden, the wind just comes out of the hills and creates this churning mixing bowl of storm that can be extremely dangerous. But the interesting thing is, is that the situation is, is that the men who were on the boat with Jesus were fishermen. They were seasoned fishermen. So the Bible tells us that they were terrified of what was about to happen to them. So think about that for a second. These are men who are accustomed to fishing on the deep sea. So if they were terrified, that means there was imminent danger. I mean, I can understand someone who'd never been on, the, on a boat before getting out there and the waves are rocking and they'd start to feel anxious. But men who know exactly what they're doing and have been in storms before, they are terrified. And what was their reaction? Well, there were two reactions in the boat we're going to talk about real quick. The first was the reaction of the disciples. Theirs was very clearly one thing, fear. There was only one thing in their mind, it was fear. And they ran to the back of the boat and they looked at Jesus. And I can imagine before they even did anything, they're sitting there going, oh my gosh, we're going to die. The waves are coming over. We're taking on water. I imagine buckets, they're taking the buckets and trying to get the water out. But it's a futile attempt. They recognize that if they don't do something, they are going to drown out there. And they're looking back and they see Jesus and they're just shocked. What is happening here? How is it that this, this man is sleeping? 
right now. Just how can he be taking a nap? There's the thunderstorms and there's the wind blowing and the waves are crashing everywhere. I can imagine, it, how could it be possible that Jesus is laying on, the, on this cushion and not getting a little bit of water spraying on his face? Like, how is he sleeping? It's probably what they're asking themselves. And they run back and they say, and this is the question they ask, don't you care that, you're, that we're going to drown? Have you ever asked that question of God? When that storm comes up in your life, whatever's going on, that thing, have you ever cried out, God, don't you care that I'm going to drown? Whatever that might mean for you, don't you care that I'm going to drown? That was the disciples' reaction, just utter fear, terror. But Jesus had a very different reaction. He wakes up. And it's funny because it doesn't say, you know, in the scripture, you would, you, you know, you, it says one thing, but in your mind, you read another. And I imagine Jesus getting up, you know, like, like a wizard in the, in the front of the, of the boat and just crawling out, be still! Like, that's what I imagine Jesus is doing, like Gandalf and his, you know, staff in Lord of the Rings. But it doesn't say that. It just says Jesus woke up and then said, rebuked the wind and, and, and commanded the waves. Like, he didn't, as far as we're aware at least, he didn't make a big show of it. Why? And I believe it's because Jesus' reaction was based on what he knew of himself and who he was. Like, he was fully aware of what was going on in this situation. This was not like a surprise moment of, oh gosh, guys, there's a storm going on? (laughs) Why didn't you wake me? It wasn't like that. Jesus was well aware. He gets up. So while the disciples were, were, were fretting, they were terrified, Jesus was resting. And then he gets up and he commands the elements. I love that. He commands the elements. He rebukes the waves. He rebukes the wind and he speaks directly to the waves. And what happens? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, I, I, I was trying to think of a way to be able to describe this, this moment but the only thing I could think of is, and I always pull from movies, okay, so forgive me, I'm a movie guy, but, and I don't have a specific movie in my mind, but I'm just going to try to paint this picture. If you've ever seen a movie when all of a sudden, like, there was just swirling, maybe even, actually, I was just watching the movie Twister this week. You ever seen Twister? Movie about tornadoes, perfect example here, right? This just popped into my head, where all of a sudden, it was actually at the very end of the movie, and they're in this storm in the house, and he bolted himself to this, belted himself to this pipe so that he wouldn't get carried away, the main character does, and the wind is crashing everywhere, and things are blasting all over the place, and then all of a sudden, like a dead calm. Dead calm. That's what the Bible said happened. Imagine that for a second. You know, one minute you're soaking wet and you're terrified and you're running everywhere. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And they're running everywhere. And Jesus, get up. And he wakes up and he's, we don't know what he says. He rebuked the wind and then he looks at the waves and says, silence, be still. And then it says, immediately, immediately the wind stopped and there was a dead calm. I mean, just, bloop, done. What would that be like? I mean, now all you're left with is your boat going, sort of rocking back and forth, you know, kind of getting its steadiness. Imagine that moment. Imagine that moment with Jesus. So what does it say the Bible says there? Oh, man. Well, before that, Jesus looks to them. Now that he did his work, he turns to them and he says, Why are you so afraid? 
Why are you so afraid? What a weird question. What do you think? Why am I afraid? I was about to die. And the thing was is that it's natural to be afraid in danger. It makes sense. I mean, there's a natural feeling. Your adrenaline is going to start pumping. Your heart is going to start beating rapidly. This is your body's natural response to fear. Fear is not necessarily the problem. It was the unbelief in the fear that caused this problem. These disciples were so afraid that they thought they were going to die. They didn't believe that Jesus had a greater plan for them. They didn't believe that he was able to take care of the situation even if he was sleeping. So he asked them, why are you so afraid? And then follows it up. Do you still have no faith? I mean, after all that they had seen, they had just spent the day and quite a bit of time following Jesus around the countryside healing people, making limbs grow back, people who can't see are now able to see, all sorts of things are casting out evil spirits, all manners of amazing miracles they see Jesus do. And Jesus goes, do you still have no faith? Now, I will say this, that they had enough faith to appeal to Jesus. So they, they saw that he was the source of their, of their only hope. Okay, he was their only hope, and he knew, they knew that much to go wake him. Master, please do something. Are you not going to sit there and just sleep? But very little faith. They had very little faith. So I think Jesus was saying, do you still not have enough faith to know what I'm talking about? And here's, here's something that, that, pops up in, that popped up this week as I was studying, and it's this, and it's on the screen. It says, faith dispels fear, but only in proportion to its strength. And what that means is, is that you will always have this battle between faith and fear. You'll have them both in your life. But the greater your faith is, the less fear you will have. You will always have one of more than the other. Faith has the ability to dispel fear, just like light has the ability to dispel darkness. But you need enough light to make the darkness go away. You can't just light a little match in, in a big cave and expect the darkness to be gone. The same is true of fear. Jesus wasn't saying they have no faith. He was saying, your faith is so small, I want you to expand your horizons. Faith dispels fear, but only in the proportion to its strength. So what was the lesson in all of this? What was Jesus saying to them? It was this, is that Jesus proved his divinity, that he was created and he was God in the human body by commanding the very elements that he created. Now, how do I know this? Well, despite the fact that Jesus said that he was God and he, he claimed it, his disciples claimed the apostles all said that in Scripture and we believe the God, word of God to be true, back in the Old Testament, in Psalm 89.9, this is what it says about God. It says, You rule the oceans, you subdue their storm-tossed waves. That's God's job. So Jesus gets up from his nap and commands the wind and the waves to be silent and to be still. And in that moment, Jesus, without saying the words, proved by his actions that he was a divine being and had the ability to completely control the elements. And what was the response to all of this? <laughs> it was this great awe, this great sense of realization. And so I want to read from this a passage of a book that I was reading this week about this. And this is, this is, he was imagining what the disciples were saying. It says, In this very boat of ours is one of our own flesh and blood, who with his word of command has commanded the wind and the sea. 
exhausted with the fatigues of the day. He was but a moment ago in a deep sleep, undisturbed by the howling tempest, and we had to waken him with the cry of our terror. But rising at our call, his majesty was felt by the raging elements, for they were instantly hushed. You see, they had the realization of the extent of Jesus' power, and then they asked this question, what manner of man is this? Like, that's the question they asked themselves. What manner of man is this? I think, I believe in this moment, they knew that Jesus was a prophet. They knew that he was the Messiah, but I don't think that they fully understood that he was God incarnate inside of a human body. He wasn't just a man. He was both God and human. And that brings us to our main idea of the day, which is this, is that with Jesus, God is tangible. God is tangible. With Jesus, God is tangible. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that he is present. He's present. So he was in the boat with them. Jesus was actually in the boat physically. He didn't say, I'll be with you always, but I'm going to be hanging out of my house. Jesus was in the boat. In fact, Scripture tells us that, that Jesus will be called Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel literally means God with us. So Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is present. So the fact that he's tangible means that he's present. What does it also mean? It means that he's capable. He's capable. Jesus is the master of the elements. We just saw that. He commanded and his subjects, the elements, listened. I don't know about you, but I don't have any ability of telling the rain to stop when it's raining. I can't tell the clouds to go away. I can't tell the sun to come out. I can't do any of those things. But when I tell my kids to do something, they listen and they obey most of the time. But when Jesus spoke to the wind and to the waves, they immediately responded like a servant does to his master. He is capable. He is capable of interacting in your life on your behalf. He is not only present in your life, he is capable to match any circumstance that is going on. Any storm in your life can be matched and overcome with his word. And he is so much more than we expect. So much more than we expect. I think he surprised the disciples that morning or that evening. He was out in the boat and a storm unexpectedly comes up and Jesus is sleeping. That's the first thing I'm thinking to myself. And this is, I think, reminiscent of our own lives Oftentimes, a storm comes up in our lives, and our thinking is God should be acting on my behalf, and I look around and I feel like God is napping. That's what it feels like in most of our lives, doesn't it? That, what are you doing? I can't see you actually doing something on my behalf. So that's, first of all, that's an unexpected thing right there. But I think what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing is that he shows himself as the master. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't need to act and fret and and run around like a chicken with his head cut off because he has the ability to snap his fingers and make it be done. So when I was reading this story and I'm seeing Jesus sleeping and then he gets up and he commands and then the disciples were like, oh my gosh, I believe that they had a sudden realization that day of who Jesus really was. That he was, had the ability to change lives in an instant. That he had the power to transform. That he has the ability to completely transform and revolutionize a life. But Jesus is always wanting 
always wanting to pull us closer. He's always wanting to teach us. And I think that's the lesson. He sat there and he looked at his disciples and said, why are you so afraid? Don't you have enough faith? Don't you know who I am? Haven't you seen everything that I've done? And he says, I want you to come closer to me. I want you to understand more. And knowing Jesus is always a journey of growing closer. He's so much more than we could ever expect. You see, that experience shaped the disciples that day and for the rest of their lives. They were never the same after that moment. And each moment that they spent with Jesus took them to a deeper place of understanding. And I believe that we are all still asking this question today. I mean, many people do. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? They ask the same question, but I think they ask it from a different perspective. So I would reframe it. As I was doing my study this week, at the end of that verse, it said, so with all of these things, what manner of man is this? And I would ask that question to you. I would challenge you with the same question. If all of this is true, if all of this is true in your life, if Jesus is master over the elements, he's master over the story, in your life, or the storms in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? How does having a relationship with the master of the universe, the one who has mastery over all of the elements in my life and of of earth and of, of, of outer space, how does having a relationship with that person affect my way of thinking? How would that change my daily life? I mean, think about that for a second. If I know that Jesus has the ability to dramatically change my circumstances, wouldn't that change the way that I feel about my problems? Think about the next time the disciples got into the boat crossing the lake with Jesus. Do you think there was a little bit more of ease with them at that point? Well, I've seen what he can do. So the next time there was like a little rumble of thunder, I don't think the disciples even paid it heed because there was, a, there was a faith that had been built inside of them. What if, just like that experience with Jesus changed the disciples, he wants to do the same thing with you. And I encourage you, I want to invite you today to experience Jesus' divine power in your life. Experience it. What is an experience? An experience is not just something that is you know, thought of. It's not just something that's in your head. It's something that you, can, that you can interact with. It's something you can move along with. And I encourage you to do that. This goes back to what we talked about last week and the week before. Jesus is personal. He is a personal God who wants to be interactive in your life. He wants to know you. He wants to help you. He wants to guide your decisions. But he doesn't just want it to be about you. Like we said last week with justice, he wants to interact and he wants to be God to others. But sometimes people don't listen to, uh, to God. They have to listen to the people. So Jesus partners with us so that we can bring justice to them. How can we experience Jesus' divine power in our lives? So the challenge for today is this. Allow Jesus to be the master of your life. Just like he was the master over the elements, just like he commanded the waves and the wind to cease, Let him be the master in your life. And there's some things I kind of put down with that. Number one is identify some chaotic areas of your life. I mean, think about Think about your life, the things that I had mentioned earlier. What are the storms in your life right now? Things that you cannot control. Things that you don't have the ability to change. 
What is it that's pushing you around, whirling you around? What are you afraid of? Identify the chaotic areas of your life. And then, honestly express your feelings to God about them. I mean, Jesus turned to his disciples after they terrifyingly woke him up and said, don't you care that I'm going to drown? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to accuse God of not caring. What I am saying is that you can express to him how you feel. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I need help. Express to him honestly your feelings to God about these chaotic, fearful areas of your life. And then ask Jesus to calm the storms. See, I think that was the difference. I think if the disciples had maybe walked to Jesus and they tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, it would be nice if you could, if, if you could just you know, make it stop raining a little bit. That would be better. You know, we'd get there faster. Like, I feel like maybe if they had come to him with a sense of, a sense of just confidence that who he is, that Jesus probably wouldn't have responded the same way to them with a rebuke. I think he would have, would have maybe, you know, approached it differently. So ask Jesus to calm the storms in your life and then trust him to get you to the other side. Trust him to get you to the other side. Imagine what our conversations would be like with our friends. Imagine what our conversations could be like with our kids or with our coworkers or with someone who doesn't even know God at all. I mean, think about that. If, if Jesus is real in our lives, if he has shown himself to be the master over every element in our lives, every single one of them, our conversations, I think, would be different with our friends. I think our conversations would be different because we would have a confidence about it. I mean, when our lives are transformed because we allow Jesus to control our situations and influence our decisions, people will see the difference in our lives. And there won't be a whole lot of convincing that has to happen. I think sometimes, sometimes you feel like this, that my job as a Christian is to have to go out and talk to people and get them to want to know who God is. And it feels like there's a whole lot of convincing that has to take place. Like, because they feel like, well, I'm smart as an individual and I don't know, this whole idea of faith and all of these things like, seem kind of like beneath me. And we feel like we have to find ways to convince people. But what I'm saying to you is that there's a confidence issue at play here. Like, do you allow Jesus to dramatically change your life and to transform it? Have you given him the space to be able to come into your storm and dispel it? Or have you fought with every inch of it until you got out of the storm and God got you through it anyway, but you thought, well, I worked hard and got through it? Because when you're walking down a path of life and you're trying to talk to friends about Jesus, if it's not natural, if it's forced, it's going to feel fake to them. And they're not going to be feel invited to know Jesus because he's going to seem like he's not someone who's tangible. But God is tangible. He's present. He's capable. He's so much more than we can expect that we know. But we have to be transformed ourselves. We have to allow us ourselves to have that experience where Jesus gets up and commands the situations that we face to be dispelled. We have to be willing to let him choose. The disciples put their faith in Jesus, which meant they were either going to die that day or he was going to save them. There were no other options. And what I'm saying to you today is allow 
Jesus, in your storm, in whatever unexpected things are happening, when your life feels out of control, go to him. Jesus, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? I know that you can control the situation. I know that this storm is not bigger than you. And I trust you. I trust you. Get us through this storm and teach me. Help me to know more about who you are. And when you have those conversations with people later, then you'll be able to say, they'll know because they know. You talk to your friends at work. You talk to your coworkers. And what do they say? You talk to them and they're always saying, oh, what's going on in your life? Well, oh man, I've got this problem or this thing. Your coworkers, your friends, your family, they know what's happening in your life. They are aware of the storms and the situations going on in your life. That when now you can give them a story about how Jesus has radically rescued you from certain death, in whatever situation that might be, there's only one answer that can come out, and that's how good God is and how he transformed it. And that conversation will not be forced. That conversation will not be fake. It will be real. It will be natural. And one day, I actually had a gentleman. This is the very beginning when we first moved to Lawrenceville. We were filming a video. It was right down here at New Amsterdam on, at 45th Street. And I was asking the gentleman if we could film outside to show. And I said, hey, would you guys mind being in our video? And he said, why should I be in your video? And I told him we were part of a church. And he said, wait a minute, before I let you even film anything, I want to know why I should care about this Jesus guy you're talking about. And I started to say, well, you know, and I started going on this story about, well, my dad was a pastor. And, you know, he's, you know I was trying to say he changed my life. And he was like, no, no, no. Why should I care about this Jesus guy. And I sat there and I stopped for a second and I looked at him and I said, because he's changed my life. And he looked at me and he kind of had this sort of like, sort of surprised look on his face and he goes, okay. Like you cannot argue with a changed life. And when Jesus transforms your life, when he intersects into your situation, when he comes up, when you need him the most, you will be able to have a conversation with your friends, with your coworkers, with your family members. And I'm not saying that that one moment is going, to, is going to get that person to come into a relationship with Jesus, but it's one step closer. We have got to be natural with our conversations with our friends. Let's allow people to know Jesus naturally. So with Jesus, God is tangible. And allow him, allow him to be master in your life. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.